0: Hey, everybody. I just got back from Las Vegas. Nope, didn't gamble a single nickel, but I sure played a lot of music. In fact, at our show on Saturday night, our Jefferson Starship show, I had a special guest come up, a friend of mine named Greg Howe. That's us from the interview you're about to hear. That's us jamming on Jane, killer riff. From the song by David Freiberg. He's of course still in the band. It was so cool to have Greg playing the big guitar solo with David, the guy who wrote the damn song, singing it. That was a good moment. And it was nice for me to give a little bit of payback to Greg because Greg has been really cool to me. He took me to India for a tour. I got to play second guitar in his band, four or five shows in that amazing country. It was 24 hours of planes and airports to get there, but it sure was worth it. We had so much fun. I also got to play a show with him at Musicians Institute with Billy Sheehan on bass and Marco Miniman on drums. I just always have a blast with this guy. He's got so much style. The first time I had a blast with him was when I interviewed him and learned all about his hammer-ons-from-nowhere technique. Which any lead guitarist should really know how to do. This time we went much deeper. We figured out how he created his voice on the guitar. We went back to the beginning. And of course, I also talked to him about getting signed to Shrapnel Records when he was 24. You know, got that vote of confidence from Mike Varney. Did some great instrumental albums, put out some of his own records. He's got another one on the way. He's got a great instructional video coming out at the end of the year. He's also fully happening in the gear department. You know, he's always had a great relationship with Larry DiMarzio of DiMarzio Pickups. Larry is the guy who first introduced me to Greg, actually, which was super cool. And Greg also has a great thing going with Carvin guitars. These are seriously cool guitars. He's got this great signature model. And uh, i got to give Carvin a serious thumbs up lately. In recent years, they've really rallied behind true players. Put out the Holdsworth model, you know, for Alan Holdsworth. Put out the Jason Becker model, and now they have the Greg Howe model. Bravo to that carvin steve vi amplifiers shit and i gotta mention also greg has a killer amp from dv mark the italian company this little head is so cool it sounds amazing it looks super cool and it's really lightweight it's just something i just i want to buy one right now be still my beating credit card and don't think for a second i didn't talk to him about playing with michael jackson and what it was like to work with the greatest pop star in history playing stadiums in europe and beyond had to get that story in fact we even jam on a little mj And of course, I got you some exclusive videos from the interview with Greg of him playing and showing off some of his techniques. Well, he's not showing off, but I just love to show off these clips because they're so amazing. You'll also see a bunch of other clips and exclusive photos from the other interviews, such as Joe Satriani, episode one, Brad Gillis of Night Ranger and Ozzy Osbourne, episode two, Maroon 5's James Valentine, episode three. I like to put all kinds of cool stuff up there. It's all for you. It's all on our Facebook page, No Guitar Is Safe find it on Facebook and you'll find all those goodies. Once again, my name is Jude. I'm the Los Angeles editor of Guitar Player Magazine. I thank Guitar Player Magazine for helping me make this happen. All right, way too much talking, not enough rocking. Let's get started. Let's get in the copter and head over to Las Vegas.
1: And then you have to have. Something like that. But well, I wanted to get the very end, which goes. <laughs> Jay, Jay, Jay.
0: Yeah, that's what yeah, a great no, song. No, yeah, you really uh, learned the key parts of it. Uh, I tried end. to, I tried. Yeah, to. which is, you know, get those quotes happening. You gotta get the
1: quotes, was, absolutely, because that's a classic solo. It's. Uh, It's actually almost like blasphemy if you ignore those, those things. People get very offended.
0: Yeah, it's part of the song. Yeah, it is. You can do all the other stuff, but hit those little... uh,
1: It'd be like doing the Hotel California solo in your own way. It's like, you just don't do
0: that. You just can't. You don't perform that song if you don't know that song. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So you're in Vegas these days. What, what brought you to Las Vegas?
1: I actually really love Vegas. It's, um, when we, I moved from Pennsylvania to uh, California in 2005. And we were living there for about four years, and that was right. And then that brought us right up to like 2008, 2009 when the crash happened. And then I just started seeing these ridiculous houses for ridiculously low prices. And compared to buying a house in LA, which is like, you're not, you're not gonna get anything even worth looking at without getting up off of a, re, a lot of money. So I figured we'd buy a house and see how we liked it. If we really like it, that's great. The market's down so low that we can't really lose, probably. But now that we're here, I really love Vegas. It's got a real chill. There's something there's kind of almost I hate to use this word because it sounds a little cheesy, but there's almost a spiritual thing about the desert. There's a there's a feeling that's uh that feels a little more
0: organic than than the big City lights. You don't get a spiritual, organic feeling in L.A. <laughs> At Whole Foods, I do. <laughs> and what's the music scene like here, as far as a being a pro guitarist? I and mean, you do a lot of stuff. You do sessions. You do... I don't do a lot of
1: stuff. The interesting thing is that the majority of stuff I've done since I've been here has been outside of the country. I'm just actually now getting a, a, a sense of the of the scene here. And there is a lot, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of stuff happening and a lot of musicians are moving into town. A lot of record companies are moving into town, a lot of management. So it's actually building up and it feels like it's becoming almost the new kind of place to go if you're looking to do something musical.
0: And there's tons of musicians here, that's for
1: sure. Oh yeah.
0: What kind of jobs are there for musicians out here?
1: Um, Well, obviously there's a lot of the casino gigs, which, you know, it's either you love that or you don't love that, but you can work. but there's other stuff. I know uh, there's some big studios here. As far as musicians, let's see. I, I would think, yeah, all the shows, right? I would, I just got done helping. Uh, do you know Gina Gleason? She's a really good guitarist, very young guitarist, and she got the gig for the Michael Jackson One show. Right, right, right. So the Cirque du Soleil people hired me to sort of coach her through that. Oh, cool. And yeah, that was fun. Our, yeah.
0: Our friend Neely Brush was like a close. Second she was almost, yeah,
1: yeah. And she's amazing as well. But that type of thing. So those big shows, you know, you'll have like Mariah Carey come in and do a residency for a while or Celine Dion, or, you know, there's just always big acts. So if you're in the scene, if you know the right people, you can, you can make things happen. A lot of my friends are, they'll have like, they have like three different gigs. I got this thing on Tuesday, I got this thing on the weekend, I got this. And so I haven't really delved into that cause I'm usually either in the studio trying to come up with a new project or I'm maybe out of the country touring, but it would be fun to get more connected with the scene. So, yeah, yeah.
0: Now, the last time you and I really hung out was it India? As yes, it was, yeah. I remember it like it was yesterday. What's your What are your memories of that trip to yeah. India? With uh, it was
1: fun. I really liked the trip. Um, I know that uh, what I remember is that there were there were some time constraints, right? There was lack of sleep, but I do remember also that certain people were kind of like, "Wow, this is crazy." And, and in my mind, it's like this is what touring is. This is what it is. It's it's always this. It's always going to be lack of sleep, and uh, not enough time to do everything that you need to do, and you have to do it anyway. But that's the beauty of it, that's the fun of it, so.
0: Yeah, you were busy, man, you were doing it, interviews. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but it was really fun, and the, I mean, the people were really receptive and just really nice, and really just, it was just a really flattering and fun
0: experience. It was amazing, like we'd show up and we'd do these gigs and there'd be like 50 people would show up, stage hands, right, to right. set the whole thing that's up, right. like that's, you just don't get that. No, you don't see that very
1: often. But it was great having you there because uh, you're you know, a great player. So it was, it was really fun to have Thank um, you. You know, to have the, the musical background feel f- full. I'm not, I, you know, it's, it's really challenging for me to get up there and, and when I know that there's chord changes and I tend not to be the kind of player that necessarily plays in a way that implies
0: the changes. I need to, I'm, I'm working on that. I love how your songs have changes. I remember we did Jumpstart every night if you want to try yeah. a little bit of that.
1: <laughs> so I try. I'll, try.
0: I'll certainly try. That was uh... like that song has tons of changes in like the solo and the yeah. melody. I mean, I hope I can remember the changes. Uh, right. I don't remember. I don't them. know how you remember all the. Uh, I don't notes. The, the thing is, I don't watch. I bet. I bet some of it comes back to you. You
1: want to count it off? Yeah. Okay, one, two, three. <laughs> like that
0: killer now so uh <laughs> jesus i apologize and, and, i just that tour was just such a riot like uh driving what do you, you remember how they were <laughs> some of
1: the oh rides oh my we god that was crazy that was that was crazy and we were in indonesia last year and it's the same kind of thing but actually indy was the craziest i've ever seen i that was that was like a an amusement
0: park there's nothing that Disney has nothing on them when it comes to thrills, and it's not that they're going fast; they're going like twenty-five miles an hour, but they're going through fruit carts and old yes. ladies, and it's missing. Everything's missing by half an inch. It's all timed. Yeah, exactly. They just it's a it's choreographed,
1: and they are. I mean, I can remember coming up to these like circular things, where there's just you know massive mad amount of traffic, and and I'm like, there's no way he's gonna we're going to have an accident. It's going to happen, and they somehow he just they just they melt into the traffic flow i don't know how that how that works
0: fascinating well that was really cool vj xavier brought us over to india yeah and uh, what kind of tours have you been doing as of late um
1: last thing that i did was what i was out with marigold for some stuff uh the rock band that i have yeah we went to russia and we went to india and we did some some stuff locally but they're haven't been out in a minute, so
0: that album sounds so good. For the playing and the musicianship wow. you got. Wow! Thank you. I no, didn't. seriously, you got John Luca on drums. Giannico yes. Palmieri. Yeah. Kevin Viccioni. Yeah. The hilarious bass player kept us laughing all throughout India. Right. <laughs> I was suffocating because of that guy. Right. In a good way. Right. right. Who mixed that, first of all? It sounds so good. Does it really?
1: Yeah. I'm so happy to hear that. Uh, I did a lot of the mixing, and also a guy named Greg Riktorsky did a lot of the mixing. He's really good. Greg does a lot of jingles, and he works in a studio all the time, so he's always doing stuff like Chevrolet or McDonald's and coming up with stuff, so he's really got, and he's got a very nice studio, but he's really experienced, and he's got great ears, so... uh and he's a friend of mine, so it was nice to, to be able to do that. And I'm really happy to hear that you liked it because, you know, when it's your own thing, all you hear is the flaws. That's all I hear. I listen to the album and I go, okay, next time we'll fix that and we'll fix that and we'll fix this and we'll fix that.
0: Well, I'm, I'm all about the drums and bass and guitar and it's yeah. got that. It's got the low end, it's got the booty.
1: Honestly, the drums and then the bass, that is way more important to me sonically than guitar guitar is icing everyone's looking at me like yeah, are you gonna put any guitar in this mix are you gonna where's your guitar are you gonna yeah but the bass and the kick drum and that bass guitar is everything it's got to be
0: there in the snare like the song evergreen evergreen is golden yeah 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 yeah, you take a mean solo on that. Well, first of all, you know, on that lick, like I noticed that you'll have like a little verb on the first one, but then it's cut off. Yeah. Like that's kind of like a more of an electronic music thing. Right. Word, I, those little things make it sound so juicy. Yeah, and I, I listen to everything. And I love great production.
1: I'm the same way with movies. I can watch a movie, even if I don't like the movie. If it's directed well, I'm intrigued. I, I, if the acting is great and the, and the directing is well, I almost don't care what the storyline is but I'm like that with music I listen cl- closely to everything and I, I love the subtleties that happen in you know a lot of pop music where you you know so- something comes in every eight bars this other thing comes in every 12 bars or sixteen little hidden ear candy
0: things happening all over the place that that collectively add up to another level of any examples of some modern pop songs that do it for you in that regard or, like I've checked out some Pitbull stuff it sounds so good I can't yeah. believe it well like, the, the, sonic. the
1: stuff's getting sonically because of the digital world uh, things are just sounding unbelievable drums these days sound ridiculous it's ridiculous you know so I can't think of anything offhand. I mean pretty much anything I hear particularly that's fairly modern I'm always blown away
0: by the tones now back to that tune you take a monster solo on that do I? I, I mean you <laughs> lo- I mean, just love hearing you play <laughs> I don't
1: remember the solo, so, it's like, so also, okay, so I had a whammy pedal for the very beginning. It's like, uh, it, it, it produces this weird tone, because I did it, I actually did it on a single note, so, and I don't remember what I did, but somewhere like here. It was something like really normal, but the whatever setting I had, the whammy pedal on it, was it had this... That's all I remember. As like, a, I don't, you know, so much of this I don't remember. I suck at my own solos. What's the part that happens right after that? Something
0: like that. I also had a 24 oh, foot yeah. guitar. Well, that's great. I was just thinking you just wail over it, but how do you even try to actually remember these solos? I'm trying to. There's a lot of notes in your solos. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that tends to be the, that's the tradition. That's what
1: happens when you start your career at, at Shrapnel Records. Right. The only label in the world that will hear your demos and say, we need some more notes.
2: <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, we need,
0: I need it a little busier than that. Is that what happened when you sent your first thing to?
1: When I first sent my first thing to Mike Varney, I was, I had a rock band called How To. It was m- my brother and we were just trying to get a record deal. We were very young we were showcasing we had already been in the studio we had already been under the, the sort of uh, temporary production wing of CBS Records uh, with like a development deal and we were showcasing and we were trying everything to get signed this this out on the east coast? this is on the east coast yeah and we showcased for Electro, we showcased for a, a bunch of labels and you know as the typical story goes everyone passed but we were making connections and things were happening and after a while it was just kind of like you know we were just i'll do anything it takes and at the time mike varney had a column in guitar player magazine called spotlight which of course you know about and i sent a demo to him and i didn't really it was just something else to do It was just another thing. I didn't expect at all to really get taken seriously. I knew that there were some really amazing guitars out there. So to me, it's like, I'm just throwing shit against the wall to see what sticks. And uh, I had put a demo together that really was not songs. It was like three tunes. It was three ideas of backing tracks, just kind of these, just chord progressions. One I think was, believe it or not, an Al tune. Most of it was kind of jazzy a little bit, Um, or poppy. It wasn't aggressive rock at all. Mike Varney got back to me literally the next day. I FedExed FedExed it to a Guitar Player Magazine office along with his P.O. Box, thinking in my mind that someone will have to sign for this. And it actually worked. So I get a phone call almost the very next day. Yeah, it was really cool. You know, you can imagine you're 24 years old or whatever. It already seemed like a lifetime I've been at this, you know, I got out of high school at 17. And this is, when's this gonna, so finally a record label calls me back and says, yeah, we want to sign you. And I'm just like, wow. He said, yeah, I got your demo. I really like it. And, um, would you be interested in doing a record with me? And I was like, wow. What was the rest of your day like? <laughs> <laughs> um, what's interesting is that because of the fact that nothing had happened up that point, my brother and I decided we were gonna move to Florida because we heard that the, the club circuit was way better down there. Plus it was warm and we figured, let's get out of Pennsylvania. If we're gonna, if we're gonna be in a cover band for the rest of our life, then let's go somewhere where it's cool. And so I decided to get a job and really save my money. I just started this job at a factory.
0: Was it widgets, dog food? They, they, it was.
1: I think bot like bottles, containers, or something. Oh right. I think. And I'd only been there for maybe two days. I sent the demo. I started the job. I sent uh, my demo to Mike FedEx. I get. I was living with my mom at the time. I called her on a lunch break and she said uh you got this phone call from this guy named mike varney and he wants to he wants to talk with you and i was at work i was freaking out so i when i called him back and he said that i quit you know that was my last day so i think i worked there like
0: two days <laughs> nice that was your first and last day job pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. well played great <laughs> well now definitely want to talk about your many career highlights but i'm really curious how you evolved your style like what was the first lick you remember playing that you just for me, it was probably Day Tripper by The Beatles. I remember I was playing it. What, what do you remember playing in Levin?
1: What I remember more than anything else is that when, we were, when I was young, when I was about 10 or 11, my parents had a, about a year that they were, maybe a year and a half where we were taking in foster kids and they were all older, they were all like 16, 17. And one of the kids that stayed with us played guitar. I didn't know anything at the time. Me and my brother used to write songs we, we could write songs even before I could play an instrument. So he'd be like singing a melody like and I'd be humming the root notes. So if the chords were supposed to be like I'd be a like, and he'd be singing. So you guys were doo-woppers. We were doo-woppers, big time. And my father eventually got really irritated because we would we would take anything that we could find and try to make music out of it, just bang on things. He eventually said, "You have to learn how to t- play guitar. You take you have to take lessons." And I wanted to actually play drums. I really did because I did have a knack for that because I could. We had a small little toy drum kit, and I could play along with you know the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. But my brother kind of raised his hand first and said drums. So I got stuck with guitar. I took like three lessons and didn't really learn anything other than. Uh, you know the sort of just these like little silly songs and I and the, the goal was that they wanted me to sight read but I had a good ear so all of these songs I'd come back the next and it was like three lessons so I'd come back the next week and I'd pretend that I'm reading it but really I'd be like you know just using my ear and plus I wasn't interested in that I was wanted to play what I heard on the radio I wanted to hear that's what I wanted to play. Yeah. And no one was showing me this. So eventually, one of these kids, uh, this guy named Joe, showed me chords, open chords on a guitar. Stuff like that. And that was like, oh my God, I can. we can have real music now behind our vocal ideas. And we can also sing songs. So we could... And it was really fun to just finally have real music that accompanying us. And this went on probably for a year. I was just like, that's how you play guitar. I didn't even know about lead guitar. I knew nothing about it. This kid Joe had left and then he came back to visit like maybe a year later and we were jamming. You know, when I saw him, I was like, let's go jam. So, you know, and these usually be these open kind of chords. Yeah. I think I was maybe getting the bar chords then a little bit. I was much better at tuning
0: back then. (laughs) You can take a moment to tune if you want. I like how you're, you're a true Strat player, man. You're tuning it by yanking the uh, strings. Yeah. You know which one's a yank and which one's a tune. Exactly. This is a carbon Stratocaster style. They're bolt Strat, yeah.
1: And so he comes back. I said, yeah, let's play guitar. So he did something. He did the craziest thing in the world. Just pretend that we're playing together. And we're just playing. Oh, uh, let's think of a song. Um, yeah. yeah. So maybe we're playing something like that. And this is what he does at one point. And I was like, whoa, 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 what was that? I had to stop him because I'd never seen that before. Like someone did that. So I was like, what was that? He's like, well, you know, I took the string and I bent it. And I was like, that's the coolest thing I have ever heard. And so for the next six months, I was just really bending notes and inadvertently kind of discovered, you know, the pentatonic. The sort of yeah. horizontal pentatonic shapes. So then, you know, I had a, a good ear so I could hear things. It didn't matter. I didn't know anything about music theory or harmony concepts from an academic place, but my ear. So if I heard any song, no matter what key it was in, I didn't know anything other than I could find... I knew the scale that would fit with the chord progression. And that's really was my introduction to lead guitar playing. I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew when it was right. And then suddenly I noticed lead guitar. I was like, people do this all over the place. I'm hearing it on the radio suddenly, you know, and then it's like Jimmy Page. Wow, Led Zeppelin. This is all that. This is like, this is a whole album of that stuff. And I started mimicking those kind of licks and kind of finally, I think the first solo I ever learned to play was the uh, Commodore's Easy was I don't remember I don't know what key it's in but I remember it's something like. And that's
2: like. So I love
0: that. that about you that you you're the one I don't want to say shredder but or you know the one player who plays insane prog and many notes who has a strong R and B yeah background yeah
1: i mean we the nice thing is that we were influenced by everything my friend my parents were kind of hipsters you know it was i'm the product of an interracial relationship that you know they, they had a lot of like friends that were from all different genres and so our influences were very wide so it was everything from sly and the family stone to the beatles to james brown to black sabbath and everything in between and it was I can tell. <laughs> That's cool. And we loved it. And, you know, Don Kirshner's rock concert, that was pre MTV stuff. And me and my brother would ride tennis rackets and just pretend we were Mick Jagger. And yeah, I'm happy about the fact that we had all these different influences. And it really was. Legitimate, we loved it. We just loved music, and it still hasn't changed much today. It's Still the same way.
0: Now, um, when you were first experimenting with soloing, what, what kind of guitar or rig were you running then? My sister, uh, my sister's a lot older than me. She's like seven years
1: older than me. She, she was more in the age group of like the kids that were staying with us, and she had a boyfriend who played guitar. He had this guitar that had like four pickups in it. It looked like, it almost looked like one of those old Rickenbackers that like the, you'd see on the Ventures album cover or something. Hey, the more, the better. Yeah, the more pickups, the better and he gave one to me. He gave me a guitar, not a pickup. He gave me a guitar and a small amplifier. It was like, I think it was some kind of Fender solid state practice thing. But I learned on this guitar, I ended up painting it. I ended up taking it apart. I ended up experimenting, you know, just trying to figure out how this device really works and just fell in love with playing. And the, the surprisingly, the stuff that I was listening to, I could learn really quickly. You know, it was like, wow, Jimmy Page is like one of the, greatest guitar players of all time and i can actually you know i can play this stuff you know I'm n- now i'm getting to a point where i can go yeah i can keep up with him and i can uh, yeah. i'm
0: not i'm not sure he could play that lick that fast <laughs> i know which one you're talking about good times bad times right right <laughs> <laughs> but i just thought okay so this is
1: guitar and uh if this is what being great is uh, i must be really lucky because this is not that, that this is not difficult now i'm sure I was missing tons of nuance and not understanding, you know, the the young mindset is always sort of monitoring progress purely by referencing technique only. We're not understanding nuance and intonation and phrasing and, you know, tone and all these other things that are in production. The fact that Jimmy Page sort of invented this sound on top of it all. That's exactly right. All those things are not considered. But... I didn't take guitar that seriously. Even then, at this point, I'm probably in my early teens, and I'm into guitar, but I'm also into sports. I got friends. You know, guitar is just something to do once in a while when I'm bored or if I'm trying to impress some girl or something. I'll whip it out and I'll <laughs> whip out the guitar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what was your impress the Girl song back then? Oh, who knows? Probably. Heartbreaker, naturally. Of course. Of
1: course. It really wasn't until Van Halen in 1978, my brother got completely infatuated with this song called Running with the Devil and he would play it every single day. On the way to school, after school, and quite frankly, I hated the song. I couldn't stand it. I thought it was a dated sounding Black Sabbath wannabe, you know, soulless. I didn't hear anything in it. I just was like, what, what is this nonsense? Uh, and, and clearly hadn't given it a real listen. I just didn't like the band. I just didn't think they were very good at all. Until one day this, this kid picks us up to go to school and he's got um, an eight track player in his, his Trans Am and
0: Nice.
1: <laughs> All the young kids are going, what What does that mean? What is this 8-track thing? Is that new? That is the ultimate 70s machine. It really is. Together, those two machines put together. That's right. So he picks us up, and the first thing that happens is we get in his car. We're on the way to school. And I'm like, I'm surrounded by this dumb song. I can't believe it. <laughs> I was really irritated. And then the song ends and this other song came on called eruption. And I'm like, okay, I'll sit up straight a little bit. Now I remember the guy that I was talking to was driving. And I said, what, what was that? He's like, well, that was, that was the guitar player, Eddie Van Halen." you know, I said, yeah, I mean, I understand that it was guitar up until almost the end, but what was the ending? What was that? Says, guitar dude. I'm like, no, it's not guitar. You can't do that on a guitar. Guitar doesn't do that. And, uh, it was a mystery because no one had really, really exploited th- that whole thing. Yeah. So w- all we're doing is trying to think, I'm just thinking so it's a keyboard, it's a sequencer, it's something he's plugged into some distortion, but it, clearly it's not a human being playing that. Can't be done. And when I heard that it was, then this is a really strange, you're gonna like this. Uh, nobody but a guitar player will appreciate this next story, but there were rumors in school that he uses his right hand so I just naturally assumed, oh, he's a classical guitarist, I see. Not to mention some of the tablature books back then had it as that. So they'd have like you know,
0: like you're playing a chord at the fourth position. <laughs> That's how they had it.
1: <laughs> and so I'm like, wow, he's amazing, classical player. He has jumping strings for each note. Yeah, every single note is yeah, it's... So and I literally I took classical guitar lessons for a summer to try to understand how to play rock. <laughs> <That's>
2: like,
1: <laughs> So finally, nah, that's and the, a good one. Yeah, what's cool and the the car, guitar teacher I had um, was a really cool guy. He was a younger guy, he was probably mid twenties, and he was, um, I think, in a rock band. And he was actually a really good classical guitarist as well. And he really liked me because I had all this enthusiasm as a young kid. And the lessons were were basically I'd come in, he'd hey Greg, what's going on? And Then we'd sit and talk about Jimi Hendrix and you know all these classic guitar players, uh, Pete Townsend. And then the last five minutes he'd be like, oh yeah, so go through page 14 and 15, and then I'll see you next week. And he was always ripping these leads, and he could play the eruption thing where it did sound like that, where it was like, I can't do it, because I'm not. So
0: he didn't know either. No, he didn't know, (laughs) nobody knew. Isn't this just amazing that, I mean, there's no YouTube or video, we're were just listening to this going, what the heck? It was really, yeah, it's hard to put it into perspective. It's hard for probably people, of the
1: current generation to really understand what it's like to be so mystified and not have access to anything really that's gonna reveal the truth until you go see them. That's what I did. So eventually my friends and I went to see Van Halen at Nassau Coliseum and I was only going for the guitar lesson. I had to see what was going on. So I get there and- What tour was that? uh, I think it was um, Women and Children. So they're like the third third album. And so finally I see them. And within the first five minutes, there it is. Because he, you know, he whipped it out at some point. And I just, I mean, as, as cool as the concert was, I could, all I was thinking about was, I can't wait to get home. I can't wait to get home. And my friends dropped me off for like three in the morning. I run upstairs and I go like this. And I was just like, I was the first kid on the block yeah right and I was like I got the secret I figured it out and I even went to my classical guitar teacher guy and I said yeah I'm probably gonna step, be stepping off and I played it in front of him and he kind of had this weird uh, disappointed look a little bit I don't know if he was disappointed that I was leaving because he really did seem to like me but I think it was also
0: maybe a little disappointed that I had that cracked the code before <laughs> he <even> did <laughs> dude I love that you <laughs> cracked it yourself yeah now can you just man turn that volume knob up and show me some of the way you've taken it so far the way you've do double, two-handed stuff. Well, yeah,
1: I'm, you know, honestly, I say this all the time. My style is as much based on my strengths as it is my limitations. And I really am grateful for my limitations because they've forced me to have to become resourceful in some way. You know, I sit there and look at my speaker cabinet sometimes when I was younger, and I just, somehow what I envision in my head has got to be able to come through those speakers. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm not walking away until that thing happens. Um, yeah, actually, the The two-handed stuff that I do, that started to emerge, was when after I got the record deal. This is no lie. The first song I ever wrote was a song called "Kick It All Over," and I heard the melody line in my head. So it's like, Mm -hmm. so I'm hearing this melody, and I'm trying to play it, and I'm like, uh, you know. that's exactly what it sounded like. I'm like, I can't play what I'm hearing. What am I going to do about this? And I, you know, I would get it a little better and try different ideas, but I really couldn't figure anything
0: out. So I just started experimenting with.
1: So I suddenly, it, it, you
0: brought your right hand onto the neck.
1: Yeah. I brought the right hand on. And I realized that if I could start to, instead of always thinking about tapping where this hand, there were the tapping hands leading. I could start to lead with this hand. And then suddenly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That kind of thing. And that really opened up a whole another realm. Because I was like, wow, I don't think I've ever seen anyone do that. And I wasn't doing it to be different. I was doing it because I needed a way to play what I was hearing. <laughs> I needed it. So, But I was really happy to discover this fairly simple technique that just involved a different sequence. So it was just hammer, tap, and then pull. That kind of thing. So it was really, yeah. it really changed things. And yeah, you. I just love how you throw all that stuff into your solos and create lyrical lines with it. At this point, it's just intertwined. And so, uh, like I said, you know, so much of it is so much of what I play is really the result of not having been able to do it right conventionally. That's the result of a lot of stuff that I do. Like for instance, when I was even going back to the eruption thing, you can imagine, like I tried every, you know, like a,
0: <laughs> totally, I'm with you. You know, I got one for you. Like on the "I'm the One" Van Halen, uh-huh. the second solo, I slowed it down. and It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, figured yeah. out every way to play until totally. finally it dawned on me. I'm so happy. Yeah, and that.
2: I'm <laughs> um, same exact thing yeah. happened
1: to me. For actually, we played it in clubs, you know, right out of high school for years, and I thought to myself. This guy is so weird because why would you (laughs) select that order of notes? It's not easy. It's not particularly some beautiful thing. It's just, but it's so hard. And then it was the open string that I had been missing for.
0: (laughs) And then you find out it's the same thing he does at the top of Eruption. Yep. You know the same exact (laughs) thing. Yeah, it's down down in one fret or two frets. Exactly. It's the same. It's yeah,
1: that's why I love Van Halen. And he's still one of my very favorite musicians of all time, because there's no real, I don't want this to come out wrong. But there's, there's no real regard for the so called rules. It's just like, and I remember this in an article that he came out, uh, some interview in like very early on 80, 81, where he said, you know, if it sounds good, it is good, it is right, it's correct. Correctness should be based on whether or not you like it, not whether or not it falls you know, within the guidelines of some harmony concept. And I really, that always stuck with me. So to me, it's like, well, of course, this is an artistic endeavor. Nobody walks into a museum and says, well, that, this guy got it right but this painting no he's that's wrong it's incorrect right so in, with an artistic endeavor i mean it it should really always just be do i like what i'm seeing do i like what i'm hearing or do i not you know that's simple you know to say that there's a rule i think i think that music and harmony concepts are great for revealing some of the symmetry that's in like western music western intervallic arrangement and that can be helpful in compositions and there are really great things you can get from it that can expand your music but if there if if you're operating from a perspective that that's that's the way you do music right. then I think you really you, you sort of close
0: off a creative, exactly. creative you know potential harmony in theory is just tendencies that have yes. been observed but yes. th- what are tendencies those are statistics and we all right. know statistics lie and we, you know you can break out of statistics anytime you want right that's exactly don't right. be a statistic <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> so then now what kind of rig were you rocking then at that point I had an old what was your first real guitar my rig? first real rig was a uh,
1: PV. Mace combo, <laughs> right? A solid state amp with two twelves in it. Probably one of the worst sounding things that ever came down the pike. But um, it looked cool because it was kind of big. And then me and my buddy built a four twelve cabinet, to put that on top of. Literally built a four twelve cabinet because I didn't, I couldn't afford to buy one. Wow. So I had a, this sort of. And then we spray painted it all black, so it looked kind of cool from a distance if you, you know. And um, that was my first official rig, and I think I probably had some sort of um, boss overdrive what pedal And What kind of guitar were you rocking I had a homemade guitar, so I had this. Really? Sort of, yeah, my first real guitar was a, it was a hondo that I had taken and really experimented on. I got, I would get parts from like all parts, JB Player, Wormuth, and get necks, and uh, you know, after, remember, I have to remember, I was super influenced by Van Halen. So I, there was a part of me probably that wanted to assemble guitars just because that's what the cool guitar players do. Eddie's the coolest guitarist in the world and he builds his own, so I'm gonna do that. <laughs> there was part of that and also there was the, the practical part of it which is that it was actually much less expensive. So we didn't have a lot of money and my parents were not really taking me that seriously like as a musician. My dad was the kind of guy that was like, when you show me, when I see results from your, <laughs> you know, if you're going to drop out of college to go to someone's garage and start playing loud music, then I'll get behind it when I see some results. So up until that point, I was kind of on my own. And so, yeah, I I got into assembling guitars, getting necks. Um, so the, my very first guitar, what was it? I think it was a Hondo body with like a Warmoth neck and then just all parts, parts and horrible soldering job. <laughs> and I took... I colored, the the one guitar I painted it white and then I took black paint literally out of the jar and just poured it on there with these all these designs. It actually looked really cool. But you know, back then of course you had to have a cool looking guitars too. So, that was my first real
0: guitar. Badass. Now, let's look at some of your other stylistic things that you do like sure. this tremolo thing yeah, where your fret hand slide yeah. you create <laughs> That's like a total sic- total sonic signature yeah, of you, I and think you do so. it so well. I've tried to do it, and I just it doesn't sound the same. Are you sure?
2: <laughs> um,
0: I bet you it does. Well, I don't, I don't even have that right tone.
1: I do it on uh, any... Uh, it's, it's really habit now, more than...
0: I mean, I don't always do it, but... Favorite one for you? Usually your third or first finger, or any finger, really. Pretty much any finger. Yeah.
2: Now are you going? You start. At, you start
0: at one note. Do you go higher and
1: lower than the note, or just? I we have analyzed this. When it comes out, it's best. It looks like I actually predicted this by watching myself visually. So I go like this, and it looked to me like it's a minor third above, about in a half step below, and then so we that
2: would actually, sound like-
0: Yes, yeah, which is a beautiful sound. Really musical. But that's probably what a singer's does. If you analyze a, a great vibrato of a voice, it's probably it. It is, because a singer can go a little
1: below below the note, and a, and you know, guitarists really can't. A lot of instruments can't. That's why violinists. It's nice to watch. You know, it's more that it's more like it's almost not the pitch wavering. It's just the intensity of the note wavering. Yeah, and where, where did you come up with this, this sliding part? There was an old video, I think a Docin video, where I'd seen, like, I'd seen him do something like that, but he did it more for an effect, more so than the sound of vibrato. But I was in the studio with Mike Varney. I don't remember exactly what the lick was. Uh, we'll just pretend it's like... or some shrapnel. Maybe it was a... Maybe it was that, right? Right. And Mike Varney needed that vibrato to be stronger. So we literally just punched in the note. And he was just like, yeah, it's just not quite, you know, so he, he was, he kind of was like, he didn't like the vibrato on this particular, because the lick was really aggressive, but the vibrato wasn't reflecting that. It didn't have the anger. It didn't have that ingve anger. So, and I, I, we literally tried to punch in. So finally I was just, let me try this. And he was like, yeah, what was that? I said, yeah. So I figured that was kind of cool sounding and... You know, if it sounds good once, maybe it'll sound good 575,000 times.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and counting. <laughs> and counting, right. Yeah, it does sound really wonderful. It's a nice sound, and it's, it's a unique sound. That's cool that you can trace it back to that one moment. You're, I do, yeah. You're tracing all this stuff back to the genesis of these actual moments. Now, uh, what about, you also, also have a, another thing you do that's really cool is hammer-ons from nowhere. Or I came up with that term in, back in Pennsylvania. I was doing private guitar lessons
1: and never really been great at music notation or tablets or anything. So I used to, what would happen, you come to you do a lesson and usually it would be like half hour of doing the licks and then a half hour of me writing them all out because it was just such a, there'd be so much stuff. And I don't know why it wouldn't occur to me to just say, hey guys, bring a recorder and tab it yourself. But I would do the tabbing. And then, and and I realized I had to often come up with terms to distinguish between this and that. So I so I noticed that with my playing, there was a lot of times I was doing things that were like, you know, where I might go. Yeah, in that line, you're only picking one note, I think. Right. So I'd say to the to the guy, you know, the, the student, when you see HFN, whatever it is, hammer-on from nowhere, that means hammer-on from nowhere. That means that you weren't, the hammer-on came from... from other, some another string...
0: So then I just came up with that term, hammer on from nowhere. Because most people, when they hammer on, the string is already ringing, but you're jumping to a string that has just right. not related hammering on. Yeah, and I, I, th- I don't think that I invented that. I think there are people
1: who have done that many times. And I guess there are some things that I do that are a little bit y- y- different, maybe. Like, I'll do a lot of things like this, where I'll have... So I'm like I get an upstroke a downstroke and then one hammer one hammer on from nowhere so to speak that kind of thing so it's it's really it's almost like again it's a it's a resourceful way of uh pretending to be something that you're really kind of (laughs) this easy way to have an effect that uh doesn't allow you to, ha- it doesn't require you to pr- do so much practicing. What is that beautiful piece that uses that a lot that we've... I oh, so that's I probably tri- a delicacy, which was yes. on acoustic, and it sounds way better on acoustic, but it was just, it's the same concept just with just a bunch of those... Yeah, same kind of idea. Jesus. But anyway, th- my favorite part is the one that's. A kind of thing very clever <laughs> yeah well sneaky is you know. <laughs> <just> sneaky right
2: <laughs>
1: but it's fun it's a uh, it's one of those things that's good and it's bad it's bad for your progress if you're really looking to be a great guitarist and get better all the time it's not a good idea to find tricks that that help justify not having to pursue them. <laughs> it's a, it's a double-edged sword because on the one hand if i was really good at everything i might not be as unique right I think part of the uniqueness of anybody comes from the recognition that, you know, what makes Robin Ford sound like Robin Ford is that part of it is that he, he probably can't do what Alan Holdreth does. But that's a great thing, right? Because it would suck if he just sounded, you know, if he if he could, it would be hard to resist doing that. And then he wouldn't be Robin Ford, so, you know what I mean?
0: Find your own combination of stuff. and Yeah, and just develop. try to make
1: it work, exactly.
0: Right. Now, I would also love to talk about some of the amazing hired gun gigs you've gotten. Like, let's start with that one guy, MJ how did you end up playing with Michael Jackson that was a big, big uh, so, tour. I, I mean good lord i couldn't be more blessed that was just and that was all Jennifer Batten she
1: we i you know I, I owe her so much for that i, I haven't given her anything yet but <laughs> there's still time there's still time no she and i met at a nam show i think years ago and, and she had said she liked my stuff and of course i love her stuff and and at that time she was really thinking about stepping off the tour for other reasons that i don't i don't know about but she said yeah i might be leaving and if so i'm going to recommend you for the gig and that was huge i mean people have to understand that a gig like that is a gig that would have two thousand guitars show up to audition for so when someone says i'm going to give you this gig and you won't have to fight for it that's a real crazy that's a blessing so she did do that and the shorter version of the story is that she wasn't she didn't leave permanently like she'd originally said she might, but she did have to step off the tour for, um, I think a little over a month because her mother got ill and she had to go deal with that. And, and it was very odd. This is one of the craziest stories because I didn't have any warning. Oh, actually I did have warning, but I didn't, I wasn't responsible enough. So she, she went above and beyond to send me demos. Here's how you play this. Here's a mic next to my cabinet at rehearsal so you can hear exactly what I'm playing. Here's the name of the, you know, here's the presets on all the Digitech stuff. Really, there's no excuse for you to not know this. And I did work on everything for a while, but you have to remember all this was based on speculation. So sit by the phone. This is before the age of cell phones. This is like 96 or 97. And uh, sit by the phone, You're, you may get this call anytime. So you don't wanna be in Japan, you don't wanna be somewhere, stay home. And so I'm sort of designing my whole life around the, the idea that this phone call might happen. And it was months that went on and nothing was going on. And I'm turning down gigs, I'm turning down situations. And eventually I was just like, you know what, look, I have to get back to, I can't just have my whole existence be dictated by this potential phone call. So that's exi- what I did. I just got back to, and I kind of stopped listening to to the stuff, and I wasn't really practicing anymore until I get this phone call on a Monday night, and I'll never forget this because I had a student at the time. It was eight o'clock, and I get this phone call, and it's the music director for Michael Jackson. He's like, uh, "Yes, great," and he's got this nervous, sort of, sort of assertive, and very taking care of business. Little urgent sense of urgency. Hi, Greg. This is uh, so and so, and um, we are going to need you on an airplane tomorrow morning at six for a gig in Amsterdam on Wednesday. Hmm. So it's eight o'clock. I have to be at Newark Airport, which is already two hours from where I live. I have to be at the airport two hours in advance. So I have to be there by four and I have to leave my house by two. So I have like six hours to completely learn the set and pack my clothes and make sure that I've got all my it was the most I was begging him I said you know when's the next gig after Wednesday next gig is is Friday I said you know if you could just get through the Wednesday gig I promise you I'll be totally right he's like no if you can't get on a plane tomorrow then we're gonna get somebody else and you know those are the moments that really are amazing you know we hate them while they're happening but but we're so grateful for them later because in my mind I said yes you know, and there's a part of me that's going, you just committed suicide. Why did you do that? You're an idiot. You can't do this. You're going to go, you're going to get in front of Michael Jackson and you're going to completely make a fool of yourself. And you're going to have the worst gig you've ever had. This is going to be the worst thing you've ever done. I hope you're happy now. And, uh, but you know, you dive in and you just go for it. And that's the only way big things ever happen is to just fearlessly jump in. And when you do it, you realize almost always that the fear that we had was much bigger than the actual thing. We make it big. Right. So it was very cool. It actually ended up being, it was a Concorde flight. So it only took four hours to get to, I don't think they have those planes anymore. Four hours to get to Europe. And I ended up getting there. um, Yeah, It was like Tuesday late afternoon. The gig was the next day. And the only real rehearsal I had was just listening to it on the Walkman and on the airplane and just kind of making mental notes. And you know, picking up the guitar whenever I could. So Wednesday, the day of the gig, they wanted to do a rehearsal with the new guy, which is already kind of weird because the band's been on tour for a long time. They've all been partying the night before. Now because of the new guy, they got to get up out of bed early and want, you know, get on the stage at 12 o'clock noon and, just to see if the new guy, and they're all irritated. So, what was the stage like when you walked in? It was really, it was really intimidating. The stage was it was outdoors. First of all, every every one of his shows was outdoors because the show was so big. Stadiums. The stadiums, yeah. And it was like just to walk up there and see this. It was really overwhelming. And I'm trying to maintain a demeanor that seems I do this all the time, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, but everyone had been so helpful, especially Jennifer, because she, you know, it was her rig. Um, I didn't have to bring anything other than a guitar or two. We, so we start going through the set from the very beginning of the set. And we get through like four of the songs. And I'm like, oh, I'm certain to, I'm to that, that anxiety's draining. You know, I'm like, I think I can do this. I think we can really do this. So it was really this relaxing kind of thing came over me. Uh, until the music, the production manager walks over to me. He's like, "Yeah, you sound great." You know, and all the band members are like, "Yeah, he sounds great." Can we go back to bed? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and um, he he comes over. He's like, "Yeah, you sound great." So um, uh, so let's talk about some choreography. Choreography, <laughs> and I'm like, "Uh, really?" Because I think the show is starts in like five hours from now. Yeah, 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 it does. But uh, you know, it's not a lot of stuff. But and it was a lot of stuff. He was not telling the truth at all. It was a lot of stuff to do. So I had this gigantic poster size series of, you know, eight by 10 paper that would surround my pedal board. And it was literally like, okay, song one, preset 41, verse, you know, pre-chorus, preset 16, uh, chorus, blah, 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 back to preset 41, song two, uh, preset 15, uh, pre-chorus 37, uh, second verse, step forward spin around twice, wait for dancers to pass by, (laughs) switch back to preset 15. Like, you know, every, yeah, it was a lot of stuff to do. And I had probably the most interaction with Michael, so therefore Jennifer had the most interaction with Michael of anyone in the band. You know, she was the only one sort of going out there with him, you know, dancing around, interacting with him like during the Beat It solo and, and, and during other parts. I had a lot of stuff to do. I mean, a lot of stuff. I was all over the state. Had stage. you even
0: met him yet? You are learning all the stuff?
1: I hadn't, well, I hadn't met him at all. And it was just it was just really the irony. It was just to, to have been just getting settled over the fact that, you know, wow, I learned, I think I'm gonna get through the set and then have the guy through a choreography at, me at the last minute. It was really crazy. It was really crazy and overwhelming and the type of thing that when I look back at it, I'm not sure how how I got through it, but that's the beauty of that. of, of taking on those big challenges, and when you do get through it, you realize, you really realize that the only thing that ever really prevents us from that is our belief that we can't do it. It's just a belief, really. Because almost any time, it's like when guys have kids, you know, I don't have kids, I'd like to have kids one day, but when I talk to my friends, I'm like, how do you do this? I mean, I can barely keep up with myself. How do you add two young kids to this? And they're like, yeah,
0: I thought the same thing for years. It just, works itself out, you just have to jump in. So what was it like when you uh, finally met Mr. Jackson?
1: It was amazing, he was um, kind of what you'd expect, just it's really, a, it's bizarre to see someone who's so introverted and so quiet and so sort of introspective and just, you know, he's, you could tell he's just very intense but very pulled back, very quiet and gentle off stage. The moment his foot touches the stage, it's literally a transformation like a superhero it just he completely turns into a different guy owns you know now it's like no one he's in control of the world it just goes from the timid to the exactly the opposite and he owns everything and it's 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 so intense to watch him and there were times that he would come over on my side of the stage and be doing one of his things and i'd be so overwhelmed that sometimes i'd forget like what i'm playing yeah he was in. he really it's a it's a thing that you can't describe you have to really see it. Any memorable moments other than the one you described? Um, There was a moment where, uh, yeah, a lot of memorable moments. <laughs> I can only of, imagine. Um, the big song, the Jackson 5 song, <laughs> I Want You Back, I think. So my job was just to whatever key it's at. Whatever that is. So Whatever key that is, I think I'm in a completely wrong key, but yeah, my job was the right. So, we didn't have any in- ears on this tour, we it was all monitors, and you got to remember these are stadiums and that your the stage is huge, and you're you're you know, you're the guy on that side of the stage is kind of in another zip code. Right. You know? So the drummer's really far from me. And so a lot of times it's that t, t. Yeah. You don't hear the echo off the back of the stadium. Right. That's exactly what happened. So this happened one night. I start this song. So the drummer goes t, You know. I kick in with I, And everyone looks at me because I'm like on the opposite side. (laughs) So so it'd be like what they heard was one, two, three, four, one. (laughs) Like, you know, some backwards, you know, reversed Virgil Donati approach. (laughs) I was like, what's going on? So afterwards, everyone's like, yeah, man, you got to you have to watch the drummer from now on you can't listen you have to watch him because you were totally and I remember because when the band actually kicked in I was like what is every everyone's wrong about this (laughs) right you know so that was one moment another moment was uh, Michael actually approached me after like the third show he walked right up to me and he was like yeah you're you're doing a really great job I'm really happy to have you now try to put this into perspective the show is huge it's just dancers. It's shit that's flying around. It. There's people coming out of the ground. There's, uh, you know, there, it's whatever you can think of. It's, it's huge. Michael's always dancing and spinning and doing something. Um, backup dancers. You know, kids come on stage and do some. You know, it's all kinds of stuff. He comes up to me and he's like, "You're doing a really great job." Um, I think the third song in the verse section. If you could pull it back just a little bit, you're a little bit on top of the beat. No oh, shit! I'm like, what? <laughs> like, he's really listening. He's a groover. Yeah, he. He's really listening. He's a rare. There's, there's not many people like that. You know, it's just he's designed for that. You know, you could see how at home he was when he would hit that stage, and and in a in a sense how not at home he was when he's not on that stage. You know what I mean? Wow.
0: Really amazing. He was an amazing guy. Rest yeah. in peace. Is any of the grooves that you like just that stick with you? That you like, I jam on that shit all day long. Do you? I'm just such a Michael Jackson fan, so.
1: Working day and night's always a fun one.
0: Yeah. What key is that in? I have no idea. E, because I want the little note.
2: I love that. Yeah. On
0: the quincy jones factor too man (laughs) quincy oh he's the man this sounds so
2: good
1: yeah i don't know how you remember all this stuff i suck at remembering anything as i (laughs) i can learn quick but it all goes away just as quick if i had to learn 30 songs for a gig next week i could get it but you asked me a week later
0: you should get hired by greg howe to go to india and play all those (laughs) tunes (laughs) that's some shit to memorize right there yes just to maybe talk about a couple of the other amazing pop stars you played with like yeah,
1: um, Timberlake that, guy, Jim, Justin Timberlake. He was, that was fun. That was actually in, in sync at first. So I, I, the chronological order was that they I, I get a gig with Enrique Iglesias, which was an extremely fun tour because he's a lot like me in that. Uh, it's really kind of a you never really grow up. It's all like the frat house humor, you know, sticking signs on the back of you and farting in your face and, and food fights and, you know, just goofy guy stuff. Uh, and he was very much like that. You know, he was just a fun dude to hang out with. Um, and that led to the NSYNC stuff, which was a much bigger production and also fun, um, but maybe not as, you know, we weren't as connected to them. You know, this humongous management staff. Yes. And then the principal artists... And then there's the band, who's always just kind of you know trying to track down you know all the the after parties that we weren't technically invited to, <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun and uh, it did lead to me getting a gig with Justin when he went solo and that was cool. But at that point I had been doing this for a while, so it was like Enrique Iglesias, Justin Timberlake, uh, I'm sorry, in sync. And to answer your question, those guys were really cool and the tours were always fun. I mean, this is another thing that you could put into perspective. At this point in my career, I had done I had done, let's see, my first album, two albums with my vocal band, Introspection, Uncertain Terms, Parallax 5. So I already had like seven, you know, six or seven albums out and really I had not experienced any monetary gain from that that was significant. You know, it's not like it's like, okay, so, you know, fame isn't always connected with fortune, I guess. Making a living here, but good Lord, you know. So suddenly you're on these gigs where they're asking you to, you know, to to play, you know. You know, just basic chord progressions. And we're going to pay you, you know, four-digit money a week, crazy money every week. As you, you know, it's just a backwards thing. You're kind of like, well, when I play my stuff, it's way why does no one, it's really like the classic joke, you know, that we hear all the time, but it was really an odd feeling to What's get- What's the joke? <laughs> well, the joke being that, um, what is it, rock players play two notes in front of a million people and jazz players play a million notes in front of four people. There it is, right. Kind of thing. <clears throat> Not that I was ever a jazz player, but you know, the the, the metaphor is com- complex or virtuos- virtuoso, virtuosity, whatever that word is, doesn't necessarily bring- it was really a strange feeling to be out on the road and it's like, I'm staying at the best hotels, I'm seeing all these amazing, you know, I'm seeing the Eiffel Tower and the Leaning Tower of Pisa and these amazing structures and classic places and uh, meeting amazing people and getting paid for this. And what I they're asking me to do is something that really doesn't require any of what I've worked towards in the past 15 years. So it's very strange. There's almost a sense, for me, there was almost a sense of, this isn't right. This is unbalanced. I don't, I almost don't feel right about this. You know, my bank account's filling up now and I'm not doing anything. (laughs) I'm actually getting paid to have a good time. And so it was really odd. It really was champagne problems, champagne problems. But I did that from 2000 all the way to about 2004. And I did start to realize that there was a lack. There was a, there was a part of me that wasn't being fulfilled. And that's the creative part. That's when I started to get clarity about what, I really am how I can redefine myself because up until that point, it's like, yeah, I'm Greg Howe. I play guitar. But I realize now that the guitar isn't really what I do. The guitar is something that I happen to do, but music is really what I do. And if guitar guitar playing became outlawed for some strange reason, I'd be disappointed, but it would not at all deter me from pursuing music because I just play the guitar because it happens to be the instrument that's been in my hands the longest. I'm not as much... I, you know a lover of guitar playing as I am a lover of music and the guitar has just been the tool that I've happened to, to use so that's what I got clarity about the clarity was I need to be in a creative environment you know if Justin says to me I'd like you to work with me on my next album then maybe I'll stay but if it's just going to be and we're going to hire you to come out and perform these parts that other people came up with that's not good enough anymore for me. And it's not, they really, after a while it was like, you know, and there was a lot of money being offered for the Justin Timberlake tour and the 22 month tour. It was, you know, life-changing kind of money. But I, at that point I was just, I was out of gas with it. I was just like, right. I, I have to get back to, I have to get back to being an artist because that's what it is. It's like, I wasn't an artist really. So that's what I learned. I'm not really that interested in being a guitarist. I'm interested in being an artist. I ne- I'm interested in being someone who's always involved in the creative process. That's much more important to me than an arpeggio. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. Uh, I don't like to tell people, I'm not saying that with a judgmental mindset at all. I, in fact, I think that there are many musicians out there who would, you know, I know they are, they're, they're, who are like, man, I'd love to have a gig like that. And I, and I say, then you should, because it's not that it's good or bad. It's just not, it's just, it has to be compatible with who you are. And if I wasn't someone that had an, a creative urge, that's the greatest gig in the world then. You know, I grab a guitar, and I go on tour, and I
0: get paid for that. I mean, how? that's about the best thing you can have, you know? Oh,
2: just
0: for me, oh, just for me to do a little homework. You, all, I mean, you also played with, like, I have all these names here, like Christina Aguilera, P. Diddy, T. Payne, Lady Annabelle. Some of these are later, right? Yeah, some of these are later, and some of these were all, like, one-offs. So they weren't, like, I wasn't really on
1: tours with them, but... Uh, But for the sake of bio, it looks good to have all those names in there. But I did play with Lady Antebellum. I actually had to to play slide guitar with them.
0: That must have been kind of recent. That
1: was pretty recent. That was about um, three or four years ago. Yeah.
0: So um, speaking of the creative side of you, though, what's next on your horizons as far as...
1: uh, Oh, I finally had a chance. Well, I'm working on a new album. I'm working on a new instrumental album. And I'm also finally working on my instructional thing, which I've been talking about for years, but now it's actually happening. So those are the two projects that I'm really excited about and that's the, those are the two things I would like to have come out before the end of the year. You know, I haven't done an instructional video since like 1990, right? With the the cool hairdo and the... And the VHS cassette. <laughs> the VHS cassette. With nothing but alternate picking exercises, which is like the one part of my tech, which is the one like the one thing I hardly ever do. Because I, you know, the video ended up being. I thought it was just warm up. I was like, okay, I want to start a warm up exercises, and it ended up being like an hour of that. And I remember the cameraman saying, "Okay, we got we got all the footage we need." I'm like, really? So it's <laughs> That's just chapter one, right? So that video is not even though it's it's a cool video in the sense that it's a, it's a lot a lot of licks. It's all it's all just exercises. I want to do a, a you know a much more comprehensive musical video. So get into all aspects of things. When it comes to just soloing and improvisation, I think I have it broken down into three primary categories, which is the notes or the harmony, the rhythmic aspect of that, and then the contour of the line. So contour rhythm and notes, even though these are very, very broad and very basic categories, and there are tons of other components that go into improv. There has to be some system that allows me to convey it. So it's going to be that and that will lead to, you know, different scales playing outside a little bit. Uh, compositional ideas: where to come up with composition. You know, where did where did the ideas come from? Being creative. Being creative. How to be creative. So, I, I if I'm gonna if I had to specify a difference between what this video is and from what typically videos are, there's going to be strong encouragement on getting the concepts more so than the actual licks. One of the things that changed the game for me with guitar playing was was up until even after my first album. I always it was like uh the first time I ever heard an arpeggio was like ingve like the the triads, right? And I thought, "Man, that's really impressive sounding." And in my mind, I just it was like arpeggios are for the purpose of having this humongous amount of real estate you know, intervallic real estate covered simply for shred purposes. That's why you play an arpeggio. It wasn't until later that I started to hear that people have been using arpeggios for years. George Benson uses arpeggios. Larry Carlton's been, these guys have been playing arpeggios for years. It's just that it's being done in a way that's, you know, in my opinion, much more colorful, much more subtle and much more musical. Instead of saying, here's A minor, and here's more of it, whatever whatever it is, instead of that, it's how about we go you know superimposing a different chord on top of a chord and that's that changed my life once I understood that whole concept which would probably be i guess superimposing or whatever you're super hitting
0: the extensions of the chord you got you got, yeah. you're 11 and your 7 exactly. and you're 9 exactly exactly
1: suddenly i was seeing that i get it so people cuz prior to that i'd hear guitars play sometimes where they have such a great sense of note selection to the point where I'd be like, wait, is, how did he, I don't even have those notes on my guitar, how is he, <laughs> I only have these notes.
2: <laughs>
1: you know, I can play them in different ways, but where, you know, even if I fill in the gaps, it still has that inside the tonality sound, it's not, why, how are these guys doing that cool thing? And they're doing it by being, like you said, it's extensions, you know, understanding the extensions, understanding that, like, if I want if I want this chord to, to to be if I want to highlight say the the sixth or the thirteen in a in, in a chord like A minor, I can I can understand that right. It's it, that. right. Part of what makes it cool is the fact that we're eliminating. We're not playing every note of the scale. We're not giving every equal. We're not every note's getting equal treatment because if it did, nothing would stand out. So now, all I'm doing is I'm taking these arpeggios, and it's really nice, like, I do this with students a lot of times, who are guys who who are at the same place that I was at, where they're like, they're really good at, like, you know, even really good players that have all this great vibrato and tone and cool blues licks. They'll be like, I want to break out of this, but I don't know how to do it. And I'll just do this, I'll just literally say, let me solo for a second, and all I'm gonna do is go through the chord scale, of, you know, the parent key. I'm just gonna look at the key of G major, and I'm gonna, you know... I'm just gonna go through those shapes, and I'm just gonna try to improvise. So if you were playing, like, say, A minor...
0: What kind of groove you want?
1: Anything. Funky. Yeah, perfect. And I'll just do things like this. I'm literally, you can literally see the arpeggio shapes. B minor. C major. G seven uh minus seven plus five from F sharp. G major. So I don't like to diss music theory, but it is interesting that the thing is, uh, so many great guitar players, the Steve Ray Vaughn's and the Hendrixes and Albert Collins is of the world. You know that they weren't really you can hear that they were not really coming from an academic place. Yet, you know that if they had ever decided to it would it would have been amazing because you know what I mean? It, that stuff is only going to work if you're already loving music, if you're already music's already a part of you.
0: Still got to have some pocket and it has tone to have all to that. So, right,
1: exactly. <laughs> right.
0: Well, that's great. Yeah, thanks for taking us deep into uh, your new yeah. concept. Yeah. And so you're Fun. going to put out a new video. It's just going to be like an online thing, DVD, everything, That's the all only the above.
1: It may be all the above. Um, we've gone back and forth. Originally, it was going to be just online. Then it was like, well, maybe we should just do a video and get it out there. But I think it's going to be both.
0: Where should people keep up on it? Greg Howe?
1: If you go to uh all my social media is there. Fantastic. Yeah, and every I will be informing everybody of things. I will have videos that are, that, you know, promotional videos uploaded to YouTube and Facebook as things progress. And uh, also I'll be more informed about what I'm doing as things progress. <laughs> so.
0: Do you also offer private lessons?
1: I do. I'm doing a lot of uh, Skype, Skype lessons, which is really fun. And as a certain way, I think students like it more because they get to have their own guitar, their own rig. Right. They don't have to take a shower. I don't have to take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> Half of my students don't know me at all other than the guy that wears pajamas on camera. Yeah, so it's, it's actually really convenient, and it really is the closest thing. It's the next best thing to being there, and it's for some guys, I think it's actually better than being there because sometimes guys will show up in person, and they get all, you know, they're all kind of razzled, we, razzled and weirded out, and I think the, the screen, the computer screen kind of creates a little bit of a protective shield from all that.
0: Now, how do the people sign up for that?
1: Yeah, if you just go to the main contact area on either the website or, or any of the social media pages, send an email and, and my manager will hook it up. There's also a lesson link on the site, which actually is probably the easiest way to do it. Click on that
0: link and you'll be further instructed with clarity. Just put Greg Howe lesson in your shopping cart. There you like go. that. <laughs> That's right. Well, I want to thank you so much for sitting down. Thanks for having me. I really uh, appreciate it. has been It's been a lot of fun great chilling in your studio here and playing. What, what should we take it on? You want to take it out? We used to play the funk. We used to play the... Uh... <laughs> Since you made it this far, you've earned a little bonus. The bonus is this. I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. And that is this that when I drew up this show, I made a long list of names of people I wanted to invite on it. And not all of them were guitar players. Got a couple of bass guitarists we're gonna to have to talk to you. In fact, next week we're gonna to talk to one of them, the great Billy Sheehan. He's gonna tell you everything, everything from crazy hijinks on the road to how he created his style playing with David Lee Roth and Paul Gilbert, Richie Kotzen, all these great guitar players. Man, he's gonna put you front row and center. He's gonna put you on stage with these guys. Hope you enjoy that one. Thank you, Greg Howe, for being on No Guitar is Safe. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you taking us into your world and showing us what you do and how you do it. I will be practicing a bunch of that stuff. I love that you love the funk, too. That's great. Thanks for listening. If you got two seconds, go on iTunes and write a review. Apparently that helps us. So far, the reviews have been quite nice. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Zoom for the awesome H6 Handy Recorder we use to record these things. And until next week... Have a great one and remember, keep it alive till you're 95.